If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew, I'm sorry, to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 1. I read an article this week about a man named Jim Abbott. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, He was an incredible major league pitcher. If anyone knows me, you know I love baseball. And he played baseball both in high school and in college. And he excelled as a pitcher. But he was also a very good uh, football quarterback in high school. He played Three years of college baseball at Michigan State, where he led them to two Big Ten championships. In 1987, he was the first baseball pitcher ever to win the top amateur athlete award in the United States. He was elected to the Baseball uh, College Hall of Fame. And in 1988, he went to the Summer Olympics, where he pitched the final game to win the United States a gold medal. He was selected as the eighth overall pick in the MLB draft. He was picked up, I believe, by the Blue Jays, uh, Toronto Blue Jays at that time, but he went on to play for six major league teams, the Yankees, the A's, and some of you know he even played for the Milwaukee Brewers. You say, well, wow, Rhea, that's interesting, but what does that have to do with your sermon tonight? Well, you see, Jim Abbott was unique. He wasn't like any other baseball pitcher. In fact, I have a picture here of him uh, tonight that's in his Brewer uniform, but, but you will see that Abbott was born with a severe disadvantage. He was born only with one hand. All those amazing list of accomplishments that I gave to you were accomplished, plus more, in spite of having that limitation. His hand was deformed, but he did not allow the hand that was given to him in life to determine whether or not he would succeed. His hand was deformed, but he was not about to let it limit him. He didn't spend his life living defeated because of his circumstances. He didn't use the hand that had been given to him as an excuse, hear me, to stay stuck or wallow in self-pity. He took the hand that God had given him and was determined to use it to his advantage. Can I ask you, how about you? Are you determined to use the hand that God has given you to your advantage? Or are you going to let it cripple you and paralyze you and keep you stuck the rest of your life? There are some here tonight who have been given a deformed hand, if you will, in life. Life didn't turn out the way you thought it would. The childhood you had growing up left its mark on you. The circumstances we we were given in life limited us and maybe kept you from experiencing the life abundant that Christ died for you to have. But like Jim Abbott, we need to find a way to use whatever hand we have been given for good instead of living defeated and conquered by it. 
And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight in Mark chapter 3. I'll read verses 1 through 6. This passage, this story, is also found in Luke 6, uh, 6 through 11, and in Matthew 12, 9 through 14. But we're going to focus on Mark's version tonight. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered the synagogue. This is Jesus. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, that's the Pharisees, to see whether he, Jesus, would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, I don't want you to miss that part. He looked around at them with anger. How many times do you see ang anger in Jesus in the scripture? Not many. Look at what he's angry at, the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So we see in verse 1 that Jesus went into the synagogue. It's interesting, in, in Matthew's version of the story, he calls it their synagogue. He said, and he entered into their synagogue. It's interesting, Jesus is a Jew. The synagogue was for Jewish people. It wasn't, uh, wasn't it Jesus' synagogue as well? I find it interesting that he said he went into their synagogue. That's fascinating to me because it's kind of, remember, Matthew is writing to who? To the Jewish people. It was a dig at the Jewish people because Jesus had just had several confrontations with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders of the time. They were constantly coming at him with, with their man-made laws and, and how people had to keep the law or else. And, and you see, I believe that Jesus entered their synagogue because it wasn't functioning in its true purpose anymore. I wonder... How many churches have gotten away from functioning in their true purpose? This had become a, made, a place of man-made law-keeping and not a place of healing and encounter. I pray that this is a place of healing and encounter for you tonight. Verse 1b says, a man was there who had a withered hand. Some of your translations may say a shriveled hand. It's interesting, I was talking to my, to my son Tyler today, and Tyler is 34 years old now, and, and he has a little boy of his own. But when he was a little boy, the apple of my eye, he loved nothing more than watching me trim shrubbery. I, I don't know why he was fascinated by that, but he loved to watch me trim shrubbery. And, and, and for some reason... One day, I, I had this, this row of shrubs that lined our driveway, and I was really uh, quite particular about them. I was pretty fond of them, and I kept them neat and tidy and well-trimmed. And one day, I, I went out, and I, I happened to notice that there was some, some withered-up branches on this shrubbery and, 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 and some dried-up branches along the bottom. And, and I knew that I was careful about how I trimmed my shrubbery, and so I walked over for a closer inspection, and I noticed that Tyler David must have uh, done a little bit of his own trimming uh, that, that day. And it, it must have happened several days prior because it took a while for this to happen. But you see, what had happened is he disconnected those branches from, from the vine and, and, and they, they withered up, they, they shriveled up, and they started to die. 
As I thought about this message this week, I, I was thinking about how, like Tyler, when he disconnected those branches from, from the shrubbery, they, they withered up and died. How you and I, we are the branches. He is the vine. And when we get disconnected from his presence, you see, you can get disconnected. You can come to church on Sunday morning and be disconnected Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and start already withering up, shriveling up drying up inside because you haven't stayed connected to him. The word says that there was a man there with a withered hand, a shriveled up hand. The, the word really means, if you look it up in the original language, it means dried up or shriveled up or crippled. It means useless. It means a life that is dried up and parched. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight that feels dried up and parched. Maybe you're sitting there and you feel useless. And maybe you're sitting there and you feel like there's no life left in you. Oh, can I tell you about my Jesus? The same word is used throughout scripture to talk about plants that are dried up. And it's used in Ezekiel when Ezekiel talks about prophesying to the dry bones, lifeless bones. It's used in reference to the fig tree. Remember when Jesus cursed it and the disciples came back later and what had happened? The fig tree was withered up. It was drying up. You see, that's the power of words. Can I tell you, some of you are sitting here tonight and you are dried up. You, you are withering up inside and it's because of the words that have been spoken over you. Maybe a spouse who doesn't love you the way they should love you and they're careless with their words and it's caused you to wither up and dry in the same way that that fig tree was drying up when Jesus spoke curses over it. Some of you, even as a child, have had words spoken over you, and it's caused you to dry up and be lifeless inside. Oh, can I tell you about my Jesus? Can I tell you about my Jesus? This man's hand was shriveled up and withered. Can I ask you, what is dried up? What is shriveled up? What is withered in your life? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your joy. Maybe your relationship with your children. Maybe it's your finances or your spiritual walk. Chances are it's because you've been disconnected from the vine. It's our connection with him, church, that brings life and healing. Maybe your health used to be good, but now it's shriveled up. Maybe your finances used to be good, but, but now they're shriveling up. Maybe your marriage used to be strong, but now it's drying up. I've got news for you. Jesus is in the house, and he wants to straighten out your life just the exact same way he straightened out that man's hand. He can bring new life to what's shriveling up and dead inside. He wants to straighten out your marriage. He wants to straighten out your finances. He wants to straighten out your anxiety and your worry. This man got in the presence of the healer, and he straightened out what was shriveled up in his life. I'm just going to tell you, we need to spend more time in the presence to get the healing that we all long for. Some of you are longing for a healing, but you don't spend any time in the presence of the one who is able. Notice the man was in church that day. Probably had every excuse not to be there. I'm sure people talked about him with this crippled, withered up, uh, paralyzed hand. I want you to notice that he didn't cry out to Jesus for help. Don't miss that. He simply put himself in a position to encounter Jesus. 
My mama used to say, Rhea, put yourself under the spout where the glory comes out. Be purposeful about putting yourself in his presence. I'm purposeful every morning. I get up before anybody else is up in my house, and, and I, I'm purposeful about putting myself under the spout where the glory comes out. Notice this man wasn't at home feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't having a pity party of one. <laughs> he wasn't saying, well, I really, I can't get to church today. I, I don't feel well. Uh, it's really beautiful outside tonight. I, I'd rather go outside and go for a walk than go to Bible study. You see, this man put a higher priority on worship than on self. I hear it all the time. People say, I'm too tired to come to study, or, or I was too busy this week, or I have too much going on, and yet those people are the same people who want me to be available for them 24-7 when they're in the pit. I'm giving you the answer tonight. This is a place of encounter. You don't need an encounter with me to get well. You need an encounter with him. That man was in the synagogue. What if he hadn't been there that day? What would have happened? What if it had been the one day that he said, you know what, I don't feel like it today? He would have missed this, the, the healing that he so desperately longed for. The Bible says uh, that, that his right hand was shriveled. Luke actually tells us that. Remember, Luke was a physician. He's into details. And, and he tells us that it was his right hand that was shriveled. The Amplified Bible says it was shriveled as a result of an accident or a disease. That's interesting to me. Uh, the, the historian Jerome tells us that this man was a stonemason. And, and it was likely that he was injured or wounded on the job. And, uh, or perhaps it was from disease. We don't really know. But either way, he was crippled by a disease that robbed him or an injury that limited him. Most commentators believe it was an injury that caused his hand to become tightly and rigidly closed and unopened. Hmm. When, I, when I wrote that this week, I, I, I wrote down, have you ever suffered an injury like that? An injury that caused your heart to become closed off and unopened. A hardened heart. Have you ever suffered an injury that caused you to just close yourself off? Because you see, it's a whole lot easier just for me to close myself off and protect myself than bear another injury from you. The Bible says that Jesus was there with that crowd of people. All the religious leaders were there. It was synagogue. All the, 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 the super spiritual people would have been there. And, and this man is there in the midst of the crowd. And, and the Bible says that, that Jesus told him to come forth, to step forth. And, and he asked the, the, the religious leader a question about, about the Sabbath. And, and the Bible says that they were silent. They didn't answer him a word. But look at verse 5. It says he looked around at them with anger being grieved at the hardness of their heart. Can you imagine? The commentators I read said he would have gotten eye contact with every one of those religious Pharisees and, and he would have let them know he was angry at their response and he was grieved over the hardness of their heart. I did some study uh, oh, over the last couple months on hardness of our hearts. It's a fascinating study. I think I'm going to do some teaching on it, but I was crying out to the Lord one day. I have some issues that I've been working through in my life, and, and I've been 
been praying over several months, just saying to the Lord, clean this up, Lord God. I'm feeling some distance between us. I I feel like there's something missing. There's something going on. And Lord, I've I've repented of everything I can repent of. And and there's something going on with our fellowship, Lord. And tell me what it is. And I heard him say, it's the hardness of your heart. And I'm like, I don't have a hard heart, Lord. My heart is soft towards you. I love you, Lord. And then I began to study all of the scriptures on hardness of heart. That word hardness there means calloused. Oh, that's, that's such a, a good word. My, my daughter, Christy, I, I loved it. She, she loved to go on the monkey bars. Everybody remember the monkey bars. And at the beginning of school year, Christy, little teeny tiny petite tiny hands would, would go to school and I'd be like, Christy, just stay off the monkey bars. And she would come home at night and she'd have big blisters on her hands and I'd be like, darling, don't go on those monkey bars tomorrow. And sure enough, she'd come home and all those blisters would be popped and her fingers would be raw and bleeding. And I'd be like, baby girl, you cannot go on the monkey bars tomorrow. And sure, she'd go, she'd go across those monkey bars even with her hands bleeding. And, and blistered, and but sooner or later, over a period of time, every day she went back, they got more and more callous. As they began to heal, she got calluses over those wounds, over the injury. Layers of skin began to build up over her injury. And eventually, after a couple months, you could put a needle in her callus and she wouldn't even feel that needle. You see, that's what the Lord said to me, Rhea. That's what you've done to your heart. You got hurt and you didn't want to hurt anymore. And it wasn't so bad the first time, the second time, the third time. But when that other hurt happened, after so many hurts over and over and over, you just got to the point where you calloused your heart. You didn't even feel the pain anymore, Rhea. You were so protected by that pain. But you know what, Rhea? You're not feeling the prick of my spirit either. You think you're protecting yourself, but you're not. You see, that's what he was angry at. He was grieved at the hardness of their heart. They had calloused their heart to him and to his power. Notice (laughs) that there are commentators that say that that gentleman was there with the withered hand because... The Pharisees, it was a setup by the Pharisees. They were looking to find something to accuse Jesus. And many commentators believe they planted that man with the withered hand there. (laughs) That tells me that they knew that Jesus wouldn't be able to help himself. That he would see somebody in need. Hear me say this, church. That he would see somebody in deep need. And whether it was the Sabbath or not, because it it was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. But they knew they could catch Jesus here because his compassion would move him and he would have to help that man. Oh, can I tell you about a Jesus who's so full of compassion that he wants to meet your need, that he longs to heal you. He longs to set you free. He can't help himself. And so many commentators believe that that man was put there because they knew Jesus would heal. That tells me that they expected him to heal. Think about that. They were aware of his power. They were aware of his ability to heal. But they had gotten so caught up in their religious motions that their calloused heart had lost contact with with who he really was. They had hardened their heart. They weren't even impressed by the fact that he could heal this man. They left there wanting to accuse him. They left there wanting to set him up. 
Their hearts had become callous. That word callous can also mean blindness. It can mean dulled of perception. It can be stubbornness, hardened in feelings. You see, that's what happens when we face an injury. We can get a hard heart. We can close ourselves off. Maybe you've been injured. The, 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 the word says that this was as a result of an injury or disease. Maybe you've been injured, maybe by abuse, maybe by rejection, maybe injured by somebody's gossip or unkind, nasty words. Maybe you've been injured by your own stupid choices and you're living paralyzed with shame and regret as a result. And so you lived closed off, rigid, tightly protected. You don't want to face an injury like that again. It's just easier to live closed off like that man's hand. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been crippled as a result of a disease like this man and your life is withering away because of the disease of sin. Maybe the disease of bitterness. Can I tell you that nothing will close you off more than bitterness. It'll rob you and it'll paralyze you. Maybe the disease of unforgiveness or jealousy, maybe self-pity or self-absorption is crippling you. Maybe you're withering away and shriveling up because of an addiction. Can I tell you, Jesus is in the house. Some commentators believe that rather uh, than a disease or injury, this man uh, was just paralyzed. His hand somehow got paralyzed. And can I ask you, are you sitting here tonight paralyzed? Maybe relationally, maybe spiritually, maybe emotionally paralyzed, maybe financially paralyzed. It's interesting to me that this word for withered, if you look it up in the original language, the tense is the passive, it's in passive. Uh, that, 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 that tells me that, that he didn't do anything to deserve this injury or this, this, this crippled hand. Something was done to him. He didn't cause it, but he's paying the price for it. Oh, oh, does that speak to anybody's heart? Maybe you're sitting here tonight crippled. Maybe you're sitting here tonight uh, full of paralyzed or shriveled up or dying on the vine. And, and it's not because of something you did. It's passive. It was something that was done to you. This man's injury would have affected every area of his life. It would have affected his ability to provide for his family, his ability to take care of himself. He was desperate. Can I ask you if there's anybody here tonight desperate? Oh, you might be desperate for a better husband or a better wife. You might be desperate for more money in the bank. You, you might be desperate for a bigger house or a spouse to love, but are you desperate for Jesus? Are you desperate for the abundant life that he promises he'll give to you? Are you desperate to see his power at work in your life? Are you desperate, church? Are you desperate? I'm so glad that Jesus was in the house that day. I'm so glad that he was willing to heal on the Sabbath. I'm so glad that he couldn't help himself, but can I tell you, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We still serve that same God, and he's in the house tonight. As I told you, Luke said that this is his right hand, and that's really important because the hand in the Bible is symbolic of might or power or activity or authority. 
If you look that word up in the original language, it'll say, in determining and controlling the destiny of man. Oh, I wonder if your destiny has been withered up tonight. If your dreams have shriveled up and and faded away, I I wonder if your might and your power has, has been crippled. You see, I think that's the problem with the church today. This pulpit is empty of authority. We can preach a good sermon, but we don't walk in authority, so we're not seeing the signs and the wonders that Jesus promises will follow us. And it's because we've been crippled in our authority. Our right hand has been crippled, withered up, and shriveling away because we're disconnected from the vine. You've got to spend time in his presence. You've got to spend time under the spout where the glory comes out if you want to walk in power and authority. Luke says it was his right hand. Right hand is is symbolic of power and authority. Where does Jesus sit? At the right hand of the Father. It's symbolic of victory. I'm going to tell you, when I pray for somebody, I'm expecting something to change. I don't just pray and just say, well, be blessed and get on your way. I'm expecting power. I'm expecting authority to show up. I'm expecting something to change because the Bible says, oh, Lord, help me. The Bible says, do not speak the, the name of the Lord in vain. Are you with me? I used to think that was, I'm a baseball, I love baseball. I used to think that that was all those people cussing and using the name of the Lord in vain at Brewer Stadium. But if you look up that word in the original language, that's not what it means. It means don't make it void of power. You see, when I pray for you, uh, when you pray for somebody else, you should expect this. It means when I lay hands and I pray for you in the name of Jesus, I'm expecting something to change because I will not make that name void of power. Do you understand? Something should change when you speak the name of Jesus over somebody. But you see, it's because we're disconnected from the vine. We're withering up and dying inside church. We're parched and dried up because we're not spending time under the spout where the glory comes out. And so nothing is happening. And nobody wants our Jesus because we don't look any more like him than the unbeliever down the streets. Are you withering up? Are you dying on the vine? The right hand is also symbolic. It was called the clean hand. This is probably going to gross some of you out, but you see, Jews always ate with the right hand. David, am I exaggerating? They always ate with the right hand. They they keep their right hand. You never shake hands with your left hand because the left hand was unclean. It was used for bodily functions. (laughs) So it's a picture here in the scripture for us that his clean was paralyzed. Dave and I work with men and women who deal with sexual addiction, men who are addicted to pornography, who are having one adulterous affair after another. They're clean, is paralyzed. Their right hand is paralyzed. They've compromised sexually and they feel paralyzed by that sin. If that's you tonight, can I tell you that Jesus is in the house and he wants to set you free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. The right hand is also symbolic of the right hand of fellowship. You'll wither up, you'll shrivel up and die when you're out of fellowship with God. 
You also wither up and shrivel up and die when you're out of fellowship with, a, with another, another person and a, another believer. If you hold on to hatred and unforgiveness and, and you keep a record of wrong, I promise you, I don't care if you try to stay connected to the vine every single day, as long as you're holding on to that stuff, you will shrivel up and die. I promise you, nothing will suck the life out of you more than unforgiveness and hatred. Verse 10 through 12 says that they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. <laughs> looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They, they, they watched to see if he would heal. They actually expected him to heal, but their, their, their hardened hearts, they, they wouldn't soften their heart to be impacted by Jesus. That, that's so, it's so interesting to me. It's interesting to me that, that, that we can do the same thing. They were in the presence of the almighty, all-powerful God, and they weren't even open to it. And tonight, even as you're hearing this word that I'm preaching, some of you will hear it, and you'll be pricked by it. You'll be changed by it. Others will say, I don't know if I'm ever going to come back to that Bible study. She's really loud and obnoxious, and it went too late, and I don't know if I'm going to come back again. Others of you will pick the message apart and be critical about it, and it's because of the heart of your heart. If you don't leave here tonight affected by what you hear, it's not the message I'm preaching, dear ones, because I am preaching directly out of the word of God. The word of God never returns void. It always goes forth and prospers for the very thing you sent it to do. If you don't leave here blessed, if you don't leave here touched, look at your heart. Look at your heart. It is the hardness of their hearts that grieve Jesus. The Pharisees, I want you to notice, went away from Jesus' presence angry and hostile. The man went away healed and whole. Which one will we be? Luke says that Jesus knew what they were thinking. Oh, I, I, I could park here and just preach a whole sermon on this. I was so moved by this this week, but I, I, I can't draw it out. But pro, I promise you, study this. There's so much more there. I, I just love that Jesus knows what's in a man. I love it. I, 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 I love how he, the Bible says he searches a man. He knows what's in a man. I love that he looked, I think it was Nathaniel, was it Nathaniel Davy, who he looked at and he said, there is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Don't you want him to be able to say that about you? Don't you want the God who knows everything there is to know about us to look at us and say, oh man, there is nothing false in him because he knows so much about us. The Bible says he knew what they were thinking and it doesn't just mean that he knew their thoughts. It means that he knew the motivation of their heart. He, he, knew, he, he knew what was going on inside of them. One of the scriptures that I read this week said he knew what was in a man, and so he didn't entrust himself to any of them. Oh, that grieved me. I thought, Lord, I want a heart that you can entrust yourself to. I want a heart that's so pure that you can, you can entrust me. I want the secret things of God. Is there anybody besides me that doesn't just want to read the Bible and say, oh, that's a good story that I learned in Sunday school. I want the secret things of God. The Bible says that there are riches stored in secret places. I want the secret things of God. I want him to be able to, to entrust himself to me, to entrust the secrets of God to me. He knew what they were thinking. Luke tells us another detail that the other gospel writers do not. He said that Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. Oh, I, I love this. See, this is really important. 
Remember, this man was probably one of them. <laughs> they probably put him there. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to come right up in the midst of this religious crowd. In the midst of this critical crowd, I'm calling you with a crippled, withered up hand to come smack dab in the center of this crowd where everyone can see your problem. See, I wonder if this man was trying to hide his withered hand. I wonder if he put it inside his robe. And remember, he's in the synagogue and, and they didn't want anybody who, was de who were deformed or had any issue whatsoever, any blemish whatsoever in that synagogue. And so I wonder if he was trying to hide. See, that's what we do in the church. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to say it. We, we make people feel like they need to have the super spiritual. I got everything all together. I don't have the problem in the world. This, this religious spirit that I have no, I have no time for whatsoever. You see, the Last time I read the word of God, this church is a hospital. It's a place where the sick need to come and get healed, not a courtroom where the people can come and get judged. Yeah. This needs to be the safest place in the world for people, Jesus. But you see, what we do is we say, you, we don't have time for your problems here. You're too needy. You're, you're, you're sucking the life out of me. And you've talked about that problem every day for the last 30 years that I've known you. And, and we really just want to get people to shut up and look good. But you see, I believe that when you bring those people into an encounter with the Lord, when you get them under that spout where the glory comes out, when you get them in the word of God to the word of God gets in them, change will happen because you cannot be in his presence and not be changed. Do you understand that? So Jesus did what he did. He did so well. Remember the woman at the well where she's at the well at noon in the heat of the day. She's avoiding people because she knows what they're saying about her. And she just wants to go there and get her water and not have people gossip about her. And Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go to that well. He had a, he had a divine encounter that needed to take place. And, and he, he was sitting at that well waiting for her when she came in the heat of day. And, and they talked. And then he says to her, go get your husband for me. And she said, sir, I, I don't have a husband. I'm going to look good. I'm going to say the right thing. I'm going to keep my withered hand hidden in my robe. <laughs> I don't have a husband. And Jesus, because he knows what's in a man, says, you heard exactly right. You, you don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And the man you're living with right now is, doesn't love you enough to marry you. And you see what he does? He brings her problem front and center. And he confronts her issue, the issue that's keeping her hiding, the issue that's keeping her going to the well full of shame, the issue that he wants to set her free from, he brings front and center. He doesn't beat around the bush. And that's what he does to this man. He brings them front and center exposing what is embarrassing, uncovering what he's trying to keep hidden. So interesting to me that this man didn't get defensive or angry. He didn't say, who, me? I don't, I don't have a problem. Why are you pointing my problem out? I don't have a problem. What's your, what's your problem? I don't have any stuff. Look at him. It's interesting. I told you Dave and I work with addicts, and I love it. Um, I love what we do, and, but it never fails that the first time, David, am I exaggerating, the first time a, a, a sex addict comes to one of our meetings, he goes home and says to his wife, I don't need to be there. These guys are so much worse than I am. <laughs> because what happens is you, you, don't want, you, you don't want to have a problem. You try to convince yourself that it's really not that bad that you can fix it yourself. See, that's what we do to Jesus. 
I just look spiritual enough. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, sister. Good to see you. We put on our spiritual masks every Sunday morning, and we can pray up a storm, and we can quote scriptures. You know, we, we have that checklist on our refrigerator of the reading through the Bible in a year so that everybody knows how spiritual we are, but it's really not doing us a bit of good. But we don't have a problem. Church, I'm just here to tell you we all have a problem. But see, our pride doesn't want us to do that. They want us to look super spiritual, have our act together. I have a mask on covering up all my embarrassing weaknesses. We want to keep things concealed from the public view, but hiding your problems from Jesus and living in denial about them is an absolute guarantee that you will never get healed. Jesus, the Bible says, said to this man, step forward. That man had, was faced with two choices now. Will he, um, will he challenge the command? Will he ignore the command and try to justify why he doesn't need to do it? Will he sit silent or will he obey? Jesus called him to step forward and, and, and then he said to the, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? The Pharisees didn't answer him and in his frustration then he he was grieved by the hardness of his heart and he said uh, hardness of their heart and he said to the, the man, stretch forth your hand. He was going to expose this man's weakness. He was going to expose this man's problem. And maybe tonight you're in that place where you have that secret sin, you have that problem that you hope doesn't ever get exposed, that you're working really hard to, to cover up. You're, you're working very hard to conceal. And, and Jesus is bringing it out in the open tonight. He's going to challenge you to bring that thing front and center and let him deal with it. I've been teaching Bible study for a number, well, I don't know, for 20 years. And uh, back in, um, oh, when we were meeting in the old building, uh, a young lady started coming to Bible study. She told me that she had come to church all of her life, that she had been in Bible study all of her life. But she started to attend Monday night Bible study. And she said, I began to sit under the word. And that word started to convict me. She said, Rhea, you don't water down the gospel. And it got to my heart. And she said, I had been having an affair since 2006. And she said, I was a Sunday school teacher. She said, I could go to church. I, I was never convicted. She said, I, I didn't, it didn't bother me at all. I could go to church on Sunday morning and serve and then go back into my affair during the week. And she said, and still I started coming to your Bible study. And, and she said, and then I knew I had to give up this affair. But she said she didn't want to because she still loved him and she wanted to be with him. She said, I'm just going to tell you, I want to be with him. But she knew what God had told her. She knew that God had convicted her of it. And, and she wanted her withered up marriage to be made whole again. So God said, tell him. She said, Rhea, this couldn't really be God, could it? You, you can't tell me that, that, that God would want me to tell my husband about this affair. And I said, anything hidden in the darkness has power. You need to be honest. You need to go home and tell him, I'll go with you if you want me to do that. But I can promise you that when you live in the truth, you live in freedom. So she went home that night. Leslie, I don't know if you remember this. She went home that night, and uh, I just, just seen her a couple weeks ago, and her marriage is stronger than it's ever been. You see, <laughs> Jesus wants those problems confronted. He wants to set them free. But we have a choice. Will we, in obedience, do what he's telling us to do? 
The Bible says that he, he said to, to this man, step forward and stretch out your arm. That word stretch out, I have a notebook here. I just want to look it up. I wrote it down this week and, and I missed my definition here. So I want to make sure you get the right definition. The word stretch out there is just powerful. It, it means to just, to cause to stand, to cause to rise, to arouse from sleep, to awake, to recall the dead to life. It's the idea of collecting one's faculties again. Stretch that thing forth. Expose it. Bring it out in the open. Stretch forth your arm. You see, anything hidden in the darkness has power. We have to uncover the wound. Remember, this man had an injury, and, and we have to uncover the injury. When my daughter had foot surgery, uh, one of the things the doctor said to me was, Rhea, at night, make sure you uncover the wound, because anything covered doesn't heal properly. Keep it covered if you like, but I, I'm telling you, it's going to paralyze you. It's going to cause you to wither up and shrivel away. My mama, many of you have heard me tell this story before, but my mama, all of my life was suicidal. I do not remember a time in my entire life that my mother wasn't suicidal. She wasn't either threatening suicide or attempting suicide. And, and it just as a little girl growing up in that home, I felt such responsibility to keep her safe. I, I felt like my, everybody else would get off the school bus and they would go play, and, but I felt like I needed to run in and make sure my mom was okay, that it was my responsibility to keep her safe. And that was just a terrible burden for a little girl to carry. And then one time, well, for about 20, when I was about 25 years old, my mom told a secret that she had been keeping all of her life. And she was in the hospital at that time. And, and she brought that secret out of the darkness into the light. And I'm telling you, we, we got her into some counseling. She, she began to do some, some in-depth counseling at that time. And I'm here to tell you that from that day forward, she never threatened suicide again. You see, it was the injury. It was the secret that she kept buried inside of her all of those years that was was causing her to shrivel up and wither away. But when she brought that secret out of the darkness into the light, the glory of the Lord overpowered it and brought her healing and wholeness. But we have a choice. Will we continue to, to keep shriveled up and dying inside or will we stretch out our arm, stretch out the thing that's shriveled up, stretch out the thing that's paralyzing us and expose it for what it is? Verse 13 says, then he said to the man, I'm sorry, um, verse 13, this is in, in um, uh, Matthew 12, but in verse 6, it says, uh, he says, stretch out your, man, your arm, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other in verse 5. That word restore means to restore to its former state. This is really important. It means his hand was once good, but something messed it up. He restored it whole. Don't miss that. It means reconstitute. It means to build up again or to reconstruct. Can I tell you that my Jesus is able to build up your life again? He's able to reconstruct your life no matter what kind of mess it's in. I promise you that he is able to restore. He is the restorer of all things. The Bible says he restores our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Davy taught on Sunday, I, I don't know if you don't have a church home, I, I will tell you that this shepherd is a shepherd after God's own heart, and he preached on Acts 4, and it was a, a powerful 
preach. And, and I happened to look down as he was reading, and it says, let it be known to you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. I love that. Let it be known. <laughs> That Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man you crucified, who God raised from the dead, it is by him and him alone, church, that we will stand before you whole. This didn't say when he gets to heaven, he'll stand before you whole. Can I tell you, his desire for you is that you are whole today, here, life abundant, eternal life. That means it begins when you say yes to him and it goes on through eternity, but that means now, today is the day of salvation, the day of deliverance, the day of wholeness. He wants to make you whole. And you don't have to wait to heaven to get there. He said, stretch out your hand. Can you imagine? Look at that. What an impossible command. This man's hand was withered up. It was, it was paralyzed. <laughs> it was crippled. And you're telling me, Jesus, to stretch out my hand? Don't you think I would have if I could have? My left hand works just fine, Jesus. I can stretch that one out, but this one is shriveled up, Jesus. Last time I looked, it was paralyzed, Jesus. Don't you love how he does that? How he steps into our life sometimes. He steps into our brokenness and he issues a command that seems impossible. Forgive that person who hurt you so deeply. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Do you know what they did to me? I'm just telling you, if you want to be free, stretch out your hand. Forgive that person. He issues a command that seems impossible. And he does the same to us. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, honor your husband. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Be merciful because he's been merciful to you. Don't keep a record of wrongs. He commands what seems impossible to prove that his commands are his enablements. Whatever he commands, I promise you, he enables. He gives the power to do what he commands. This man didn't argue with Jesus. He stretched forth his hand. There was no excuses. There was no delay it was prompt obedience, prompt obedience. He was determined to straighten out what was shriveled. Are you? Are you tired enough of being tired and weary? Are you tired enough of living in a constant pity party? Are you tired enough of living depressed and full of despair? Jim Abbott, Don, put that picture back up again. Jim Abbott did not allow his hand to become a liability. He, I was reading about him this week. Do you know that his parents, because he was born that way, he, he said he wanted to play baseball like all the kids down the street. And his parents said, you know what? Why don't you play soccer? Soccer would be good for you. And he said, no, I want to play baseball. And his parents said, please, you know, Jim, let's, let's play soccer. You'd be a great soccer player. And so his parents said that they would hear him at night. He'd have a, a, a rubber uh, baseball, and he'd be hitting it against the wall, bouncing, trying to catch it with his hands, throwing it and catching it, throwing it and catching it. And, and he'd do it over and over and over. And finally, one day, his dad just got frustrated, and he went out, and, and, and he said, sit down, we're going to learn how to do this. 
And he taught him how to balance his, his glove on his hand so that he could pitch, but then he could quickly get his, his glove back on that hand to catch the very ball that could come flying back at him. But he refused to let that hand be a liability or limit him in any way. He was determined that what threatened to disable him would not limit him. Can you take a lesson from that and from this man tonight? That the hand that you've been given, whatever that looks like. See, some of you have been given a hand of a very difficult life. Maybe the hand you've been given is, is constant financial struggles. Maybe the hand that you've been given is an illness. Maybe the hand that you've been given is a miserable spouse that you are absolutely miserable with. Maybe the hand that you've been given is a difficult child. Can I tell you that whatever hand you have been given, you can determine to turn it into an asset, not a liability. To let God use what the enemy meant for evil and turn it around and use it for good in your life. In this story that we read tonight, the man's crippled hand kept him from being whole. What is keeping you from being whole? What is keeping you from being whole? What has withered up your life that Jesus wants to make whole again? I want you to notice who, who, who Jesus saw in that crowd that day. It wasn't the religious elite. It wasn't the ones who seemed to have it all together and worked very hard to appear that they did. It was the one who had the weakness, who had the problem. And that's the one he notices in this crowd tonight. He doesn't want you keeping it hidden or covered up. He doesn't want you embarrassed by it or limited by it. He calls you to stand forth, to stretch forth your hand. That man was willing to do that. Are you? Are you willing to stretch forth your singleness? Are you willing to stretch forth your jagged past, your failures, your regret? Are you willing to stretch forth your shame or your guilt? Are you willing to stretch forth your marriage that you think is withered up and beyond help? Are you willing to stretch forth your bitter, critical attitude and your angry personality? Are you willing to stretch forth your unforgiveness and the life that's filled with hatred? Are you willing to stretch forth the addiction that has you paralyzed, the sin that renders you crippled? Every one of us, every one of us, if you're sitting here and you're saying, why does she preach on this stuff tonight? It's your heart and heart. Because every one of us has an area of our life that's withered in some way. We've just gotten to a place where we think Jesus doesn't care about a withered hand anymore. We file for divorce instead of believing he can heal a paralyzed marriage. We run from doctor to doctor and counselor to counselor instead of believing he can heal what's crippling our mind. We battle our troubled teens with our mouth instead of battling them on our knees. We numb ourselves with drug and alcohol instead of looking for him to bring back our useless life back into existence. Can I tell you? I want to suggest to you that Jesus is in this place tonight. And just like he uh, was calling that man at the synagogue that day to come forth, he's calling you and I to come forth to stretch out the thing that's limiting us. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's a heartbreak or a heartache to stretch it forth and let him bring healing to it. One last thing in closing. In the message, it says, the man held out his arm and it was as good as new. You see, this is what Jesus can do. He can take what seems to be impossible and make it possible again. He can take what's broken and make it whole. He can take what appears to be too far gone 
and make all things new. That is who he is. I'm going to ask Megan and her team to come forward. And, and, and while they come, I just want you to really be in an attitude of prayer. I, I, I really feel uh, just a sense of, of urgency and fleshing this message out for you. This man's hand was withered. Withered, shriveled up, paralyzed, and crippled because of an injury. Some of you are here tonight and your hearts are shriveled up, dried up full of death, like my shrubbery, because of an injury. Something happened that maybe reaches way back in your past, but has caused your heart to become callous and weathered up. I believe that Jesus wants to heal that. I believe that he's still in the business today. He's the same God we read about tonight. He works the same way today. He is the God in whom there's nothing impossible And so as Megan and her team pray, play, I I just want to invite you to come forward. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that bondages get broken in this place tonight. You know, I don't do this often, but when I do it, I know that I, I feel like I've had a commission from the Lord to do it. And I cannot teach a message like I taught tonight if I don't give you an opportunity to stand forth and stretch forth your arm. You see, this man had to lose massive cool points. Can I tell you? He was in the synagogue of religious leaders, and he didn't want to have a need. He wanted to look religious. And he had to lose massive cool points to step forth and stretch forth his arm in obedience to Jesus. And for some of you, you're like, I'm not coming forward. Mm, Too many cool points for me. And stay crippled. I I, I really don't, don't care. But I believe that God is able. I really do. And I think we've, we've become a place, church, where, where we want to just put on the mask and I got it all together. Everything's great. Everything is not great. We go from glory to glory. Every time he cleans something up in my life, there's something else there that he starts working on. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that thing to cripple me anymore. If he puts his finger on something, I am first in line. Here I am, Lord. Clean it up. Clean it up. And so as Megan and her team play, I'm going to invite you. If you you have a need, if there's something that's been withered up and dying inside of you, if you feel like you're lifeless, if you feel like there's an injury in your life, that's, oh, I'm telling you, this is a good one. See, some of you have that injury that that you are like my Christie on the monkey bars. You just kept going back and back and you got injured over and over and over and then you just got calloused. They couldn't hurt you anymore. wants to soften that hardened heart tonight he is able it's not protecting you it's hurting you I promise you it's hurting you because calluses you can't pick and choose what you're callous to if you're callous to that person that hurt you I promise you're callous to God you're protecting yourself even from God and so would you come tonight I'm going to pray for you When I speak the name of Jesus, I'm going to expect something to happen because I will not make that name void of power. I will not do it. I'm expecting things to change. And so come. Come.